Uh, if you want to come grab a seat, we'll get started again. Uh, we here at City Light um, love the Bible and we believe it is God's Word and that as uh, we read from it that God speaks to us. Um, and so uh, the Sermon on the Mount is actually in, in Matthew 5. Uh, we're going to be reading from sentence 21. Uh, if you've got one of our new Bibles, it's on page 810. Um, it's going to come up on the screen as well for you to read on. This is uh, Matthew chapter 5, sentence 21. You have heard that it was said to those of all, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with them to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, who will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word. Uh, whoa, I'm really loud. Thank you, Jamie. Booming voice of God. No, just joking. Um, welcome to City Light. My name is Gav, one of the pastors here. Uh, thanks for being here this afternoon with us. Um, if it's your first time we're newish, thanks for uh, braving the awkwardness and coming back or walking through the building. It's often hard to come to a place we don't know anyone. So thanks for being here this afternoon, and uh, we do hope you enjoy your time uh, here with us. Uh, we're in the uh, Sermon on the Mount series, as Cam said. Um, <clears throat> we're looking at what Jesus taught. Uh, we can often... Uh, hear many things that Jesus spoke about, you know, stuff like um, um, the golden rule and do unto others and love your enemy and don't judge. That all comes actually from this sermon that Jesus gave. And so we're going to look at that and what he really said and what he meant by that over the next little while. Uh, last week, Jez, the other pastor, kicked our, ser- our series off, which was, uh, I think he did a great job. and I think God really worked powerfully through him and it had a really impact on my life. And um, that coupled with reading the book Radical with Katie and I, it's been amazing. So I um, really hope that I can build on that from last week. And what God did last week here, and I want to build on that this week. But I need God's help, so I want to, uh, I want to pray and pray and talking about God and, and just asking Him to, to, to use me, but to work in you as well. Uh, I love the idea, and I think it's true that there's no accident you were here this afternoon with us. And God, the creator of the universe, has something to say to you. And so I'm going to pray for that right now. So let me talk to God for us. God, we want to, we want to come again before you, as we do each week, and ask that you would bless our time here, whether we know you or we don't know you, whether we are close to you or not, whether we had good weeks or hard weeks. We want to ask that you would speak to us again, address our hearts. You know what we're thinking already. You know our posture towards you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would again address us and speak to us as the loving Father, as our Creator, as the one who made everything. And Father, we pray that this afternoon wouldn't be just another afternoon here in a church building, but it would be again meeting and hearing from our Creator who loves us. You promise, or you say that your word is sweeter than honey. It revives the soul. 
that brings light to the eyes. And we pray that would be our experience this afternoon. That you would address us where we are at. So Lord, please, please, please speak to us. Help us to know you more. Help us to address this issue of anger and to the solution found in Christ. And just use me as your servant. Help me get out of the way and just let you speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you, um, you're very probably much sick of hearing about my life and um, my three kids, but it's my world and I need illustrations, so that's where I go to. Um, <laughs> uh, I have three kids, Jet Indy Savannah, Jet 7, Indy 5, Savannah 4. Went to Monster Trucks last night. That's another illustration later on. It was pretty cool. Anyway, um, they're a lot of fun, but a lot of responsibility too. And Katie and I uh, have together as a couple uh, the responsibility of raising three young little children, three little hearts, and shaping them as they go forward on in life. Big responsibility. It's a big responsibility, but we also like having fun together uh, as a family. We're big on having fun. I like to try and say yes more than no, which can get me in trouble sometimes, but it's pretty cool. Uh, I love parenting with Katie. She thinks super hard about how to be a parent, about how to parent the, the, our kids' hearts. Um, which is really cool. Um, she's got a real gift in that, and so together I think uh, we make a pretty good team. Um, but we do have a lot of fun together, um, and uh, an example of that is just last week, um, Jet got into my boxing gear, which I haven't used for a long time, and uh, he said, look, what is this, Daddy? How do we use this? And he had the full headgear on, which was like, made him look like this massive Lego head thing. Anyway, and he put the focus pads on, on his hands, and he said, what are these for, Daddy? And I said, you hold them up, and then you punch them. He's like, okay, I'll hold up, you punch. I'm like, great, okay, buddy, sure. My seven-year-old son. Anyway, he holds them up, and I said, look, make sure you hold your hands strong, because I'm going to punch them, and they're going to... So he did, and we mucked around, we are laughing a lot, and then he said, oh, you're going to hit again. So I hit probably a little too hard, and the focus pad went back and knocked his front tooth out. Uh, He was in... He was in such shock that he breathed in and swallowed his tooth. So he doesn't get any money from the tooth fairy. No tooth, no cash. No, just joking. Just joking. Um, so. hey, look, yeah, it was, I'm not sure who was saying fun here, me or him, but it was a... F- I, whatever, I had fun. But we... Um, Look, I want to say his tooth was wobbly. It was wobbly. Um, look, he's like, no, I was moving a little. No, I was moving, I promise. It was almost ready to come out, and so I did him a favor. I want to say I did him a favor. Um, but uh, but uh, we do have a lot of fun in our family, and um, uh, I think sometimes a little too much fun. I think Katie and I have realized we talk at this a little bit, and we've realized maybe have too much fun sometimes. I feel like sometimes Katie, probably rightly so, it feels like she's parenting uh, four children, and me being the older one. And, uh, you know, I do love mucking around a lot with my kids, and I feel like I'm a 10-year-old inside still. And uh, I love a bit of toilet humor, you know, the poo and wee jokes. It's all me, right? I'm driving the kids on with that one. Anyway, we've realized it's gone too far. Here's an example. I'm going to try and use this technology here. Um, you know, on your iPhones, uh, you can... Um, Siri, you can Siri. My kids love talking to Siri. Love talking to Siri. I don't know why. They love talking to Siri at home. Anyway... It's a good babysitter. No, I'm not just joking. Um, and, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, you can tell Siri what your nickname is. You know, change my nickname, that sort of stuff. And, and Siri calls, uh, tells you what your nickname is, right? My four-year-old, Savannah, got my phone the other day and changed my nickname. Do you want to hear what my nickname is? Let's do this. Siri, what's my name? you Gavin. But you asked me to call you Silly Billy Killy. We sing you like Poo Poo Daddy Poo. <laughs> 
So man, I got my phone and changed my nickname to Silly Billy Kiwi. We sing you like Daddy Poo Poo, Daddy Poo Poo. That's, uh, that's my nickname on my phone. Thank you, Savannah, my four-year-old. Um, <laughs> there's probably a little bit too poo when we talk in our family. The other day, you know, Savannah goes out and tells people that my daddy's bum stinks. I'm like, whoa, we've got to roll that right back pretty quickly. So Katie and I have realized we've got to roll that back. Too much poo talk from daddy. And uh, so we were trying to think about, like, you know, we've got to, we've got to roll that back. How do we change children's attitudes and, and actions and stuff. And so what I love about my wife is that um, uh, she's not on simply about behavior modification. She's not about changing the heart of the child. And she parents the heart. And she cares and knows about their heart and she understands their, where they're at emotionally and gets them on their level and hears what's going on for them because um, she knows that uh, when you have someone's heart, you can change them, you can make them grow rather than just saying wrong, right, here are the rules. She knows that. And she knows that, you know, if you get the heart, of the, you, get the heart you get the person. The Bible says, out of a heart, the mouth speaks. When I say heart, it's our, it's, our, it's our belief system, it's our values, it's the core of who we are. So to bring change, you need to have the heart. That's what she's talking about. And it's true for all of us. We all act and believe and, 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 and do out of what our values are, what are the center of who we are. And Jesus knows this. And if you actually look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is on about the heart. It's not about the heart. He's not simply on about a list of do's and don'ts. Because you look at the Sermon on the Mountain and go, you know, do not murder, do not steal, whatever. And you go, well, you know, just a, a, a list of rules. But that's not what he's on about. He's not on simply about behavior modification or the outward. He's on about the heart. And you think about who, up, who got under Jesus' skin the most, who upset him the most. It was the religious people of the day who uh, Jesus would call them, uh, you know, whitewashed tombs. They'd be on about, yeah, I love you, God, but on the inside, they were far from you. Said you were clean on the outside, but you were dead on the inside. Jesus is on about the heart. We'll read through this sermon over time, and we'll hear Jesus say things like, "You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say don't lust. You've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye, but I say turn the cheek. You've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I say do not hate." Jesus is not on about the action; he knows it comes from the heart. If he has your heart, he has you. That's what we're going to see today. We're going to see this idea. We're calling us, we want to be a church that is, that is a light to our city. We call ourselves City Light because we want to be a light to our city. We want to be radical. We want to be a light, salt to all that, are, all that can see us. That's impossible for us if Jesus does not have our heart. So the radical life, the normal following Jesus comes from the heart. That's what I want to show you today, especially as we look at this idea of anger and hate. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, 21, 26. Where are we coming from here? This is a sermon that Jesus gave, the first teaching that he would have done. And last week we saw Jez speak on this, that uh, Jesus comes and he, he talks about, you know, blessed are, are those who follow him and he goes and unpacks that and he calls the followers of him the light of the world. It's not be the light of the world, it's saying if you're, if you're a follower of me, you are the light of the world. It's who you really are, the light of the world. This really sets up what he's going to say in the rest of the sermon. It's a bit of background that's going to help us. He would have been speaking primarily to Jewish believers uh, the Jewish people were a chosen people by God, and uh, uh, God gave them a thing called the law, and that's really basically how they were to live once they were followers of him. It's not how to become a follower, it's once you're a follower, these are the best ways for you to live as my people to show the rest of the world who I am, and you're being a light to the rest of the world by how you live, the law. problem was, the people that he chose, the, the, the Israelites, uh, didn't really trust God that following his way was the best, 
they went off to their own thing and they found it too hard to do. What happens then is Jesus comes on the scene and he comes in on the scene and he says, I'm the son of God, I'm the lamb of the, uh, the, lamb of the, um, the, lamb of the uh, who's come to take away your sin. Um, he's saying, well, I'm God in the flesh. And all the, uh, all the Old Testament people, the Jewish people think, well, what's he going to say about the law? The law is a big thing for us. So Jesus comes on, they're asking this question, what is he going to say about the law? Well, before we, uh, this passage, uh, a little bit before that, Jesus says he's come to fulfill it. It says, not get rid of it, but to fulfill the law. And he's basically saying the, the law will be fulfilled in me. He's making this huge claim that I'm going to fulfill the whole of the law. The Old Testament has all been pointing towards me. I'm going to show you the true meaning of it. And that's what this sermon goes on to, sh- to show and to see. And we're going to look at this, this, uh, what he says about anger and murder here. He says five times in this chapter, you've heard it said, but I tell you, he's redefining it, reshaping it through, through him. Let me show you sentence 21 out of 22 that's, uh, that Cam read for us. It says this on the screen behind me. You've heard, it, uh, heard that it was said to those of old, saying you've heard the Old Testament, you've heard the law used to say this, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that uh, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to, the council, liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus straight away is not mucking around, he's going straight away for it. Sixth commandment of the, old, of the Ten Commandments would have been, you know, do not murder, do not kill. And so it could be assumed, like, okay, if I don't kill, I don't murder, tick, done that, I'm doing great for God. Jesus is like, that's not it, you missed the point. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, he's saying, where does murder and killing come from? What's going on in your heart to get to that spot? See, out of, out of, a, out of, a, out of hatred, someone kills. Out of anger, somebody murders. So Jesus is saying, it's not about the action, it's about the heart's intention. If you are angry with your brother or sister, or if you insult them or call them a fool, Jesus is saying, you have a similar heart to that of a murderer. It's pretty full on. He's raising the bar, he's saying, you've heard it, so don't murder, down here, but I say, don't hate. He's raising the standard. He's saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is the radical life that I'm calling my followers to be, or to do, to live like. And it's a warning, Jesus says, uh, those who are angry or who insult or call people fools will be liable to judgment, God's judgment. Like he's, not, he's not mucking around here, he's pretty serious. And he makes it plain the root of anger is hate. And he gets to the heart of the matter. Then he shows that how this plays out with two scenarios. I'm going to show you on the screen, show you on the screen again. Two scenarios where this might happen. Look at this, 23 to 26. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, that's going to the temple to offer your, your sacrifice to your sin, you know, you mean, you know bring your sheep along down the road. Um, and you, if you're going to the altar, offer a sacrifice, remember that and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the, uh, before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Second scenario, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to court with him, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Two scenarios, both about how God's people relate to one another, how they get on, both about seeking reconciliation, not being angry, but the, the big push here is, do it now. Don't wait, don't waste time, be reconciled right now. I'm, a, I'm not a very uh, patient person in certain areas of life, if I see something needs to get done, I'll do it straight away. And I, I hate waiting. I don't like waiting. Um, I'm the guy who changes lanes about 300 times in the car, just trying the fastest way possible. 
who takes back streets to try and beat traffic. If I, if I have a list of things I need to do and I don't get them done, it annoys me. It eats away at me. I'm the to-do, to-do list guy who ticks things off and they sit there. It's like it's mocking me. Like, you can't tick me off. Then it frustrates me, right? A couple of years ago, um, we decided to get some pets. Against my better judgment, I'm allergic to almost every animal God has made. Um, anyway, <laughs> so we, uh, we went with fish, right? Fish. I'm not allergic to fish because I can't touch them. Um, so uh, fish, easy, right? Wrong. Um, how, how often in my relationship with Katie works is that uh, she goes and does research on everything and figures everything out. I just go gut, in, gut instinct, right? Just follow my gut. Fish, sure, I know that. Let's go with it. And uh, so one Saturday morning, I had a bit of time. I'm like, I'm going to go to the pet shop, Katie, and buy some fish for the kids. And uh, uh, we're going to do that today because I've got, I got like half an hour to do that. And uh, she said, you know, I've been researching that, and you need to buy a tank first, get the water levels to the right pH level, um, put the water for two weeks, and then uh, get it all right. All I heard was blah, 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 boring, 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 right? <laughs> Let's just get on with it. Anyway, we went to the aquarium uh, against uh, my wife's better judgment. We got, I brought the kids along. They're like, oh, and that fish. So we picked the fish. I'm the best dad ever because we've got goldfish. Jet named his fish, as you've all enjoyed before, Rainbow TV Dinosaur Family Mork was the name of his fish, <laughs> which he loved. Anyway, set the tank up. The kids were over that in about 20 minutes. Um, and, uh, uh, but thankfully they were over because 72 hours later, Rainbow TV Dinosaur Family Mork was dead. He died. Apparently the water wasn't, wasn't at the right pH level. Who would have thought, right? Who would have, who would have thought that could happen? Anyway, my wife certainly did. Um, but, uh, but sometimes my desire to get things done, to make things happen, can be a good thing. You see, I, I, I'm the sort of guy, I don't like relational tension with anyone. Um, if I know there's an issue going on, or someone has, someone has something against me, I will go and seek them out, figure it out, and then go forward, um, getting onto it straight away. And I think that's, that's what Jesus is saying here um, in these two scenarios. He's emphasizing the urgency of being reconciled between two people. And, and he's saying the radical life of following him will mean actually loving one another. Jesus says, even the first scenario, forget your religious duties. Uh, going to the temple to offer sacrifice was massive. And people would have traveled for three, four days. They would have walked from a long way away to walk to Jerusalem dragging their little sheep behind them to be sacrificed. And Jesus says, if you get there after four days' walk and you realize something against your brother, leave the sheep there and go back, walk four, four days in the other direction and be reconciled first. That's how important it is to be reconciled with someone. Make that your number one priority. Jesus is saying, hey, God doesn't care about your worship and your sacrifice and your religious duties if you and your brother aren't right. Go and seek reconciliation. Jesus is almost saying here that your worship is a sham if, there are, if you know of unresolved issues in your life. The second scenario picks up a legal metaphor and is uh, about someone who uh, defaults on some repayments. And in this day, what would happen was that um, if you default on a payment, you owe money to somebody and you can't pay them back, they have the right to throw you in jail. And two, you can pay it back. Problem was that in jail, you can't earn any, any money. And so you're stuck there until someone either pays it for you or you can work out some way to get money to pay this person off. So Jesus warns that time is short. The debt with your accuser, uh, the, with your, the debt with your accuser and, you, and you need to work it out quickly. Same way, be reconciled now. 
Don't wait. Do it now. And again, a strong warning from Jesus. And he's, again, he's saying that radical life means loving one another. It means patience, bearing with one another. And not just avoiding the person, but seeking it out. You actively seeking it out to love them. And Jesus is serious about this. Now, I won't jump to forgiving people who have hurt you or enemies or whatever. That's, that's in two weeks' time. We have a whole sermon on that. So I'll leave that to one side for a moment. But I think what Jesus is talking about here is that personal animosity between followers of Jesus within the church. He uses the word brother a lot here. If we're a light and salt and the church is a city on a hill, then surely we're to be people who reflect the love that God has shown us. We want to be a community that is different, good different, but salt showing a watching world who looks in on the church a community that is based on the love shown to them in Christ. Showing peace and mercy and showing them what, how, what the, how that affects how we relate to one another, how we speak to one another, to each other's face, and when the people aren't there as well. It really struck me thinking about how do I speak about people when they aren't in the room with me? Jesus is concerned with that. The other day I was on, on Facebook and I was looking at two people that I knew and they were arguing, two Christians that I knew were arguing, going at it vehemently on Facebook in the comments section. I'm like, wow. And then one person who was a friend of one of these people jumped in and said, why are you, why are you even friend with that, friends with that person? It's, it was sad to see the, 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 the church acting that way. But I think if we think about this idea for, this, for a second, that Jesus is on about the heart and what the heart's intentions are and what hate is, then I think that it's not just hate, because you can say, yeah, I don't hate anyone, Gav, I'm good. But if you pull this back and see what this idea of hate is, I think we can throw more things in that category. Like the idea of being irritable with people. That's like hate on a low simmer. It's been turned down a little bit, and it may be turned up at a point, if they annoy you enough. Or how about bitterness? Anger and hurt that doesn't get resolved, but sits there and festers and gets bigger and bigger and eats away at you. How about arguing with people, revenge, or swearing, or jealousy, or being angry at what someone else has that you don't. And we can, we can justify and say, well, I feel entitled to that. I deserve that. Why do they have an I don't? I'm the same as them. I'm better than them. Or how about grumbling and complaining? And I think a lot of us are good at this. It's a strange thing, right? We, we like to do that. The grumbling and complaining starts in our hearts, thinking someone is, is foolish or, or we know better than them. And it's the opposite to love and thankfulness. Or about being, being cynical. Again, we're good at this. The self-righteous heart's in us and, and we can look down on others to try and elevate ourselves and push, squash them down to become cynical of other people. We critique them. We judge them. In our hearts and minds. I've been trying to read a lot about anger this week and I read this from a guy called uh, David Pallinson, Dr. David Pallinson, who I really like. And he wrote this quote. He says, No one can escape the influence of living in a culture of angry self-assertion and entitlement. It's fashionable to rant, to overstate one's opinions, to adopt an edgy posture. It's deeply nourishingness to, to the self-righteousness to have a good reason to vent anger. It feels so good to have been wronged and then stand up for one's rights. When we expand anger out and, and, and insults, pretty confronting to see what Jesus is trying to say to us here. It shows that he's not playing around with what a follower of Jesus will look like, how we relate to one another, how the church is to operate. 
we can read all this and think that, um, why is Jesus saying this? It's really hard. How do, we, how do we actually live this out? Maybe this is a list of rules again or hoops that he wants us to follow through. But I want us to stop for a second and think about who's saying this. This is, this is uh, Jesus. This is God in the flesh who came to give his life for us out of his great love for each of us who knows us. And we've got to hold that as we think about this. See, I'm sure most of you have either experienced yourself or seen people who have been full of anger and full of rage and full of bitterness. And when that's you, you feel what you're almost imprisoned by. You must feel, sometimes you feel physically ill with, it, with jealousy or, or sick with this uneasiness or, or bitterness that you have. Full of unforgiveness and hoping in your heart that in some way the person that has wronged you might just get justice done to them. We wouldn't say that. But it's there in us, a bit of, we want a bit of revenge. And we certainly don't love them or want what's best for them. And these feelings and emotions sit there and they can trap us and, and they shape our mood and our days. They affect our relationships with others. They affect our relationship with God and can get to the point of saying, well, God, you did this. I deserve better from you. You owe me, God. Don't you know who I am? I've worshipped you, God. I've served you. I've served for your church. Why are you doing this to me? You owe me. When we become enslaved by hatred and anger, we're trapped by it. The feeling of being more and more entitled and more and more the bitterness grows and grows and grows until we deal with it. In my family, um, my extended family, not my family now, my extended family, I saw this firsthand growing up. A, A family member of mine was full of bitterness and anger and hatred towards another person in my family. And it just, it was never resolved. My family was hopeless at conflict resolution. And, um, and so it just ate away at this person. And how they were late to the person they were mad at would just be, they would fly off the handle for no real reason. And that person didn't really know what was going on. It seemed unjustified. But they were just losing at this person. And that person could never do anything right, was always wrong. And it was horrible to watch on both ends. The person who was being yelled at would say, what have I done wrong? And the person on the other end would just, would just be negative at that person, how hopeless they are the whole time. And I hated seeing it. It went on for years. It went on for years. And it actually was never reconciled. And they both hated it and nobody won. And this person was enslaved to bitterness and anger. And bitterness and anger and hatred never help you to stop and think at the other person or consider how they might feel, or even to think rationally. You get more and more self-justified as you go, and you become a slave to it. And Jesus knows this. And as I said, he deeply cares for each one of us, and the reason why he warns so strongly against it is, he's saying, reconcile and feel the freedom of that. I've come to set you free from that. Of dealing with it, seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation dealing with bitterness and anger and not being enslaved to it. Ephesians 4.26, uh, the Apostle Paul says, do not let the sun go down your anger uh, and let, let, let Satan get a foothold in your life. To connect that idea of, of anger and letting it sit there, give Satan a foothold in your life. Jesus just said a couple of sentences before, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. 
Those who are meek, those who pursue mercy, those who are conscious in their peacemaking are the ones that are blessed, are the, are the ones that are favored. Living a life that is not enslaved to anger and bitterness. Jesus says the radical love for one another is the norm if you follow me. And I wonder if you sit here today and, and maybe you're sitting here and thinking, okay, well, you know, hearing stuff about anger and insults and bitterness and, and calling people fools. And I wonder if someone's name has jumped into your head thinking, I'm not reconciled with that person. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit convicting you or calling you to act or to forgive or to let go for your sake and for theirs and for the sake of the church. Now, Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your heart. James 1 says, Do not merely be a hearer of the word, but a doer. And Jesus is saying, I want you to let go of anger, I want you to let go of bitterness, and I want you to, to pursue reconciliation for the sake of you and for the church. So we can be a light he's called us to be. Part of the radical life of following Jesus is showing mercy, is being meek, and constantly seeking peace. Again, you could be sitting there thinking, okay, I've got this, I understand what you're saying, Gav, um, but how do I go about that and, and, and how do I even start the process? This may be years of hurt, years of pain, Years of unforgiveness in your heart. How do you reconcile this? How do you go forward with that? What do you do? How do you resolve this? Well, to finish up, I want to show you how we're given three things from God. We've, given, we've been given all the resources we need to show love and forgiveness and kindness. We've been given all the resources we need to live a radical life for Jesus. I'm going to show you this to finish off. In my life, I've had a number of um, really strange injuries and sicknesses. Um, I've been knocked out by a fellow teammate playing cricket. Anyway, happened to me. I've been knocked out playing rugby by the ball. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed that, Jesse. Um, I've, dislocated my, I've dislocated my kneecap, passing a cricket ball around the field. Looked down, oh, my kneecap's gone. Boom, popped out. You know, I had that Gillian Barre thing, which is weird. I was walking 20, 40 hour, 48 hours later, I was in a wheelchair paralyzed. And then a week later, good again. What's that? Weird. But up there with one of the most weirdest, annoying, most frustrating injuries has to be tennis elbow. You know what? I don't even play tennis. I don't even play tennis. And it was the worst. It was the worst. I couldn't even pick up a bottle of water and pour it. That was too painful for me. That was it. Couldn't do much with my right arm at all. And it takes months to heal. I even had to have blood injections where they take blood out of your arm, put in a centrifuge, and then inject the plasma back into the sore point. It wasn't, wasn't good. I had to wear this stupid arm brace as well, which I saw everyone else wearing it. But they were like 65 plus, and there was me <laughs> with this arm brace. And even worse was how I got the injury. Now, this is pretty embarrassing, but I'll go with it. I got it, I got it from putting together IKEA furniture. I'm a finely tuned athlete, aren't I? Physical peak fitness. <laughs> and I was using this Allen key and tightening these bolts. And the Allen key was too small. The bolts were too tight. I'm making excuses now because Katie says, oh, it's easy, Gav. And, uh, but it really, it actually gave me tennis elbow from Ikea furniture. But you know, uh, if I, you know, it's, 
when you have a job like that, the, the, the tools aren't right, it's hard. But when you have the right tools, the right resources to do a job, it's so much easier. You can do the job easily. You know, if I had the right tools there, maybe I wouldn't have had tennis elbow. Maybe I did, but um, it would have been so much easier. Jesus calls us to live the radical life following him, to be a follower of him. And he has resourced us with everything that we need to put on mercy, to put on meekness, to love one another. And the amazing thing about our great God is that he never, ever caused you to do a task without giving you what you need. Or he never caused you to go without going with you. And we need to know this if we're going to be a church that lives out what he's called us to be. Let me give you three ways he does this. Firstly, he gives us himself. We have him as our example. You know, you have Philippians, uh, part of the Bible, Philippians, uh, chapter 2, 3 to 11, where uh, Jesus, uh, 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 Paul is writing out Jesus, who is the one who, in humility, doesn't consider himself better than anyone else. He's the right hand of the Father who leaves that position of power, empties himself of his majesty and comes down to earth, and he lives as a common human and is betrayed and he's rejected by the very people he came to save. He becomes obedient to even death on a cross. You have 1 John 3.16 where uh, John said, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He's the example of how we're to live. If Mark 10.45, which I love reciting to you, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Then you have this uh, amazing account of Luke, uh, the, the doctor who writes in his gospel, uh, in the Passion narrative, Luke 23, where he's talking about Jesus, and he, has, and he records the cross for us and what happens, and you have Jesus there who's been nailed to the cross, hands and feet. And he's, and he's hung there amongst two criminals on a cross, like a common criminal, stripped naked, and is being mocked by everyone. He saved others, save yourself, if that good. And he's hanging there, and he made those people, and he's hanging there, and he does nothing about it. And they're hurling insults at him, spitting at him, and throwing things at him. And he's hanging there to save those people. And what does he say when he's on the cross, being mocked and abandoned by everybody? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I would have been full of anger and rage at that moment. You know, Jesus even says to Peter, if, if I could have called down a, a thousands of legions of angels come get me. But he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Out of his great love for us, he comes down to earth, dies on a cross for the sins that he did, not, he did not commit, but for our sake, on our behalf, as a servant, to love and to serve us. If he is our king and he is our Lord, he is the one we follow, and he is the one we be made more and more like, then we ought to love like he does, serve like he serves, humble ourselves as he did, not counting others better than us, not looking down at others. Jesus did not save us, make us more arrogant or more full of pride. No, he saved us. Become more like him, a servant, one full of love. And he is our example of how to radically love. You know, I want to say this this afternoon. I think that it's impossible, impossible to look at Jesus and fully understand him and look at his life and his death and then look sideways and hate the person beside you and be bitter and angry. When we forget Jesus and the cross, it's easy to be self-righteous. It's easy to be full of anger and hate and bitterness. 
What, what, is, what does Jesus say when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's, you know, they're one and the same. Love God and love your neighbor. It starts with the love of God. If you get this, how much you've been lavished with its relentless, unending love, you cannot but love other people. If you get this love, if you understand the cross, what he did for you, when you're his enemy, it's impossible to hate those near you. It's impossible to fix your eyes on Jesus and not be radical. Secondly, we, the second resource we're given is we are given the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you look at these slowly, kindness, peace, patience, gentleness, they all about how we relate to one another. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is God in us, showing this life of a transformed life to how we treat others. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us, not just for ourselves, but so we can be a light, can be a radical witness for Jesus in the whole world. That's why we're given this Spirit. So then finally, this flows on from the Holy Spirit, we are given a new heart. As followers of Jesus, we have the ability now to obey and say no to our own wants and desires and yes to Him. And knowing that's good, we can say no to giving scores and giving checks of wrongs done against us and yes to forgiveness and mercy and peace. We have God saying this in the Old Testament. There's two famous Old Testament passages they're called the New Covenant passages. Uh, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31 where God says in the future days which is, which is ushered in by Jesus I'll give them a heart made of flesh and I'll write my law not on an outward thing but on the heart, on the inside and they will obey me because they want to. And I will be their God and they will be my people forever and I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. We have God's law, His ways on our heart and we can obey those knowing that they're good. And we can live that radical life. You know, at the beginning of this talk, and I'm going to finish with this, um, I said the radical life is the normal to follow and it comes from the heart. You know, in the last few weeks, I've really noticed, I've been praying for this, and I mean, a few weeks ago, as I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount myself and reading this book, Radical, I've been asking that God would do a work in my heart first. I want to be a, a pastor who, who leads by example, and, and, and really God saying to him, whatever you want me to do, God, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. Use me. It's been cool to see, and I just, I just noticed, with, you know, I asked Cam to ask people, what, what's God been doing in your lives? And I think there's God's been a real work here, which I'm really excited about, where we aren't settling for the comfortable, normal life where we just pretty neutral and, 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 and fill our life with things that make us feel good. I feel like there's a work going on. I've been super encouraged by here. How many of you are saying, I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to look warm for Jesus anymore. And I want to say and share that I think God's really working. Katie and I, we've been talking and, and praying and reading Radical together and saying, God, if you don't take our family anywhere, so be it. We are, we are instruments in your hands. We know where, that heaven awaits us and we want to be parents who show to a jet in the savannah this is what it means to be and to live like a follower of Jesus. We want our kids to know that because we believe that is life to the full. But I don't want us to slip back or to fade or this just to be a season that we go through. It's a cool season of this series and then we're back to the you know comfortable, lukewarm Christian life. 
how are we going to do that? How are we going to keep being a light, being salt, being a city on a hill that people looked at our community and think, I want that. By fixing our eyes on, and our hearts and our minds and on Jesus day by day, seeing who he is, what we've done, you, you cannot look at that and go, it's nothing. You can't look at that and go, I hate you. You can't look at his life and hear him say, Father, forgive them, and say, forget about it. It's impossible to look at what God has done for you in, in Christ and be angry and hate the person next to you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith, day by day. Our hearts, like I love that quote, our hearts like pianos that go to tune so fast. I want us to be a church that turns our eyes upon Jesus as the hymn says and look into his wonder and grace and the things of this world grow strangely dim the light of his glory and grace. I want to be a church that's radical for Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit being a light to all who see us. That's my hope. That's where I'm leading us as a church. And that's what God's plan is for us and that's where life and meaning and purpose is found. That's my prayer for us as a church. I'm going to pray now and then we're going to sing in reflection. God, we want to thank you that you are a God who cares for us so much. We don't often understand how wide and how high and how deep your love is. And we often look to the things of comfort and the path of least resistance and think that is what you want. But Lord, we know that you are calling us to be your people, whatever the cost is. And Lord, we want to pray that this afternoon we will believe that. That Holy Spirit, you would convict us of what you, of what you just said, Father. And we would act, we would be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We would not harden our hearts. Father, I pray for all of us that we would be together a light on a hill. We would be a community of followers who love one another radically as you have loved us. If we are feeling bitter or, or, or have an unforgiving heart, we pray that we would run back to you and you would change us. You would soften us. You would remind us again of the mercy that you poured out on the cross, that we would run back to the cross and understand what you did for us. And we would understand our sin, but your, but your majesty and your, and, your, and your love. And we would look at Jesus in the garden saying, but any other way, and saying, you did that for our sake. So Lord, I want to pray for us that we would be a true light. and We would leave here changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We do each week here. We believe when the Bible is open that, uh, that it is taught faithfully that God speaks and we don't want to move on before you have time to think or reflect or pray, whatever you want to do, just to consider what God might have said to you. So give me, let me give you a few minutes now and then we'll reflect, uh, respond together.